Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, part of the Athletic Hockey Show Network. It's a network that grows seemingly by the hour. I kind of like that. Pierre Lebrun. So, I, so Pierre, I was a little bit surprised when I got your text and you said, all I want to talk about today is the Toronto Maple Leafs. That was uh, that nothing else. Even though we have, yes. we have Edmonton Oilers head coach Dave Tippett's going to join us. You were like, all Leafs all the time. I was a bit surprised by that. Oh, like I didn't have enough uh, yesterday between my TSN and athletic duties. Oh, my goodness. Living in Toronto like uh, I do and our producer Jeff. Oh, my gosh. What a 48 hours it's been. Well, for sure. I, I just, I, you know, it's I want to, there are a couple of things that we need to touch on. And, and I thought your piece talking to some other NHL executives after, uh, I have no other way to describe it, the shocking outcome of uh, Game 7 on Monday evening. Uh, I want to get to that. But you, you have institutional knowledge that lots of people don't. You've been in that city for a long time. You've, in fact, Jeff and I were talking just before it started taping. Like I covered the Leafs for a period of time when Pat Quinn was the head coach and at times the mm-hmm. GM and that team, you know, playoffs every year. And even though there was always bitching and moaning about the Leafs, they always, you know, they always beat Ottawa or they always, you know, there was always, that's a team that that really did sort of um, step up come playoff time. And, and, and now with such a drought, you know, such a, a long period of time where there has been no playoff success. Where, where does this stand for you? You've watched this market. You live in it. What is this What is this like compared to, you know, some of the other disappointments uh, over the last 17 years? I think this one hurt Leaf fans deeply. And, and I think part of it is you've had back-to-back years now where, you know, it's one thing to lose to Boston the first round. The Bruins are, were favored. And, and, you know, but this is a team that playoff lessons were supposed to have been learned. I love the offseason that Kyle Dubas had, adding all the intangible players, uh, some veteran leadership to surround the skill. And I'm not going to back down from that. I'm not one of those guys that changes his mind because 
things didn't work out. I, I really liked how Dubis approached the offseason right. last year. But this one, because uh, now in back-to-back years, they lost to Columbus in the pre-playoff series, and then they lose to their rivals in, in, in really uh, remarkable fashion, no other way to put it. Um, this one will sting for a long time. And because it was to the Habs, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, to this day, uh, Red Sox fans not only talk about finally breaking their curse in 04, but you know what they really talk about coming back from three, nothing down against the rival Yankees. Right. I mean, I mean, that's what really makes it, you know, forever in their minds. And I think Habs fans for sure will hold this over the lease for a very long time, or at least until the least have a chance to, to exact revenge. So that, so that's what I think the emotional burden is for, for Toronto fans. And, you know, 17 years and counting now since they won a playoff series. I mean, you know, we, we, we come up with these comparisons about, you know, the Caps and Ovechkin having to wait a long time before they finally got out of the second round or the San Jose Sharks, you know, never won a cup with all those great teams. Well, here's the thing. The Sharks played a lot of playoff games and won a lot of playoff series and went to five conference finals over a 15-year period and a cup final. The Caps went to a lot of second rounds before they finally broke through. I think what Lee fans are saying, give us a round. <laughs> give us a round, man. Um, and, and so it is... It's absolutely remarkable, but I thought, you know, Arpin Arpin Masu made a really good point in his Habs column. Uh, I think it was published either yesterday or today. Let's not take away from what the Habs did here. You know, calling this a only labeling this uh, a collapse by the Leafs is is a bit unfair to what the Canadians pulled off. And you know, I, I have to pat you and I on the back a bit because in in the in a bunch of podcasts over the last month, you and I talked about this feeling that we had about the Habs giving the Leafs all kinds of trouble in that series. We yep. talked about it. Yep. And and it was sort of this idea, and sometimes we're completely wrong, Scotty, but in this one, we nailed Never. it. That, that their roster, you know, and I've been on this all year, that if they can somehow get into the playoffs, the Canadians, and in many ways, they barely did, that their roster was better constructed for the way playoff hockey is played than the wide-open, regular-season North Division hockey, which had no defense. I mean, the Habs were a fish out of water in that division this year, right? They, they just weren't built for going up and down the ice with Edmonton and Toronto and Winnipeg at all. But come playoff time, you know, the refs don't call as much. I know this always shocks people. People are outraged again in these playoffs. I can't wait to ask Dave Tippett whether, whether he thought well, they called enough with Connor. No, again. but I mean, but, but I mean, th- that's just the reality. At some yeah. point, you just accept that playoff hockey is different and, and, and it doesn't mean that you have to love it, but it, it's, it's different. Uh, it's a grind. There's a desperation level. Um, and, and I just thought the Habs would give the Leafs a really hard time. I still thought the Leafs ultimately would prevail in seven. Agreed. And I thought they'd use that adversity of, of, of getting through that grind and beating their rivals to sort of, you know, push themselves further here after getting through the first round. But obviously, I was wrong on that point. Yeah, uh, I just I got a bunch of stuff before we get to Dave Tippett. And uh, um, but I do want to touch. I, I think your point is excellent on the Habs because, I mean, the tendency is and, and, and you know, again, maybe, you know, we'll touch on this with Dave. Um, you know, it's ten- you know, the tendency, I think, is the same with the Oilers being swept by Winnipeg, which is to focus on the failings of a talented Oiler team. But I think what we're going to get in this second round series, and let's be honest, the second round series, none of us saw or very few of us saw coming with Winnipeg and Montreal. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be compelling hockey. And I'm so, you know, I do this. 
uh, prediction thing with a coach, uh, an NHL executive, and, yeah, I and like a that. scout. Yeah, and mm. uh, every uh, all of them. Now it took me about five days to do this one, thanks to the North Division schedule. Thanks for taking that seven games, by the way. Um, uh, but it was, you know, the, the the anticipation now of a series with Connor Hellebuck playing as well as he did against Edmonton, and of course Carey Price and and his, you know, just such a. It was just so Carey Price of him in that series uh, against the Leafs. I think this series is going to be compelling, and they're both built, mm-hmm. I think, more talent probably, uh, certainly for the Jets up front in terms of their depth. But I, I'm, you know, I'm fascinated to see if Eric Stahl and Corey Perry, you know, this is a series I think that's going to have lots of drama, and, and frankly, I'm all in. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, and I have to give the Jets the early edge because uh, they're going to be more energized and, and just have – you know, just being rested, I think, is a huge factor. Same way, I think it's a factor between Colorado and Vegas exactly. in the second round. Yeah. But, but we'll see. And and um, you know, you mentioned Carey Price. I, I, I shared that story on Twitter during Game Seven. I know you love that story, Scotty. But uh, of of sitting near the ice in Sochi during the gold medal game, and there was a TV timeout, and I don't know why I was looking down at the Canadian net, and I saw Carey Price yawn <laughs> during the TV timeout of the gold medal of the <laughs> Olympic Games. And I, I've talked to Kerry about it years later, and he didn't remember that, but he just shrugged. <laughs> and, but I think it's just, you know, like, did, did you notice, did you see the clip after Kakanyami scored in overtime in game six? They showed Kerry Price. He yes. didn't even react. No. He was like, oh, the game's over. <laughs> so, so I don't think pressure is a thing for that guy, man. I think he's, he's seen it all and done it all. And, uh, and certainly I think, the Habs fed off that as the series went on. Yeah. I, I, I want to talk just a little bit about that Colorado Vegas course. Ryan Reeves suspended for two games after running amok in that debacle that was game one. Oh, my gosh, Colorado. I, I just could not believe how fast they were. I could not believe wow. you know, how good they were. But you know what was interesting for me? And, and it, 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 there's a couple newsy elements to it, of course. Um, you know, hats off to Marc-Andre Fleury. Nominated. Uh, he's one of the mm-hmm. Vezina Trophy finalists that was announced uh, yesterday. And, what, you know, what a great season for one of the great guys in the game. And, and uh, of course, a lot of consternation and arched eyebrows. When Pete DeBoer, head coach of the Golden Knights, decided that Robin Leonard would start game one against Colorado after Marc-Andre Fleury had played all seven games against Minnesota. But I was intrigued. And again, it just shows that, some, you know, sometimes you have to engage your whole brain. But when I was talking to the coach and the and, and the scout and the GM, frankly, who were helping me with this uh, predictions, they were not surprised at all. And the coach said to me, you have to ask yourself this question. Can, if you're Vegas... Can you imagine playing and winning this series with one goaltender against Colorado coming off a seven game set? And, and I think it was, a, I didn't really think of it that way. And it probably would be too much to ask Mark Andre Fleury to play 14 straight games. And he said, if you're going to use Robin Leonard and get him some action, it has to be in game one. And even though it may right. seem like a sacrifice, that is the only way to do it. And, you know, if Vegas wins tonight, and it's a tall order. At, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how badly they got beat in game one. If they can somehow even this series, they will. it will be mission accomplished for the Golden Knights. I never thought of it that way. But I, I, were you surprised by it? Because it obviously it was a disaster for Vegas on all fronts in game one. Yeah, I, I was surprised by it. And I was surprised that during the Minnesota series that they didn't find a game for Leonard. Because, yeah. you know, you got a grueling seven-gamer. 
Um, it means that you don't have to change a winning lineup when you're losing some games to Minnesota. I, I thought we might see Leonard for one game in that seven-game series, to be honest. I mean, the point of having two goalies to trust is that, you know, you throw them both in there. But um, and, and the good news is for Vegas that there was no tweet from Alan Walsh when uh, Leonard went in for Flurry. I disappointed. Come on. I think Alan's getting uh, soft. Uh, yeah, no, maybe he's – anyway. <laughs> it's awesome. I wish every agent would uh, – provide entertainment to, like Alan. I tell you what, he protects his clients, boy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you no. I believe that. Zero issues with that. Um, all right. Uh, tonight, uh, later today, after we're done taping this, uh, the NHL draft lottery. I, I've come to so enjoy, even though I still, it hurts my head when I think about the odds and who can do what, and especially now it's changed again. Uh, I I admit all that. I admit my mathematical failings with that. I, to me, it's become a, a hugely dramatic part of the NHL schedule. And I wonder, you know, right now, Buffalo with the best odds to snare the number one pick in the draft in July. But what what do you, what, what, do you how do you feel? You know, about it's really it? weird. Yeah. I really don't give a shit this year about really? the draft lottery. Wow. Yeah. I don't know why it's not grabbing me. Like, you know, me, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Wow. But I'll, you know, I'll right, never mind then. Screw it. No, no, it's Screw okay. It. No, but no. I, it, it's, it's, it kind of crept up on me. And then I was like, oh, oh, well, we'll see what happens. I guess the one thing that would, you know, the Seattle's in the draft lottery, which is fun uh, with yeah. an asterisk, of course, with all the rules and everything. But yeah. Um, you know what I wanted to get to is uh, back to the Vezina because you introduced it yeah. and it went away. <laughs> but I, I was uh, the, the GM's vote on the Vezina, not, not the writer's. Um, which I have no problem with, but uh, I was surprised that UC Saros yes. didn't end up a finalist for, and I tweeted that. But um, you know, I, I do think at the end of the day that Desno will actually come down to Flurry or Vasilevsky is my guess. But I would have liked to have seen Saros recognized as a finalist because I think there's you know there's no way Nashville makes the playoffs without him yeah. performing heroics, especially in the second half. And I don't know if maybe. Nashville's first half issues hurt him in voting. Um, but, and, and that's not nothing against Philip Grubauer. It's just, you know, Grubauer has had his best year of his career. So he's being recognized as well. But I do think the team in front of him is a little different than the team in front of UC Saros. And, and so that, that disappointed me. Yeah. Well, and I, I made the point um, in, in somewhere on the athletic yesterday that, Again, it's quibbling because you're talking about the the best of the best. And I agree with you on UC Saros. If I'm not mistaken, I had him at number five on my heart trophy ballot. So um, that's how important I felt he was to the Predators and, and what was a dramatic surge to the playoffs. And I would have I thought I thought Mike Smith could have also been in the mix, um, you know, and especially given his numbers for an Oilers team and really carrying the ball. Um, uh Against you know with again for a team that you know sometimes yeah, as you pointed out in the North Division <laughs> if you're a goaltender in the North Division you're seeing a lot of pucks and you're seeing a lot of quality chances and Mike Smith was outstanding for the Oilers and uh, again not quibbling uh, I think it's Andre Vasilevsky I'll, I'll be surprised if it's not a landslide and oh my gosh has he been good in the first two games against Carolina oh, I, I unreal. just it's it, a it, wall it, he's a wall right now yeah. Uh, He's the best goalie in the world, I think. I mean, yep. listen, obviously, Carey Price has just delivered a vintage Carey Price performance, but uh, I don't think there's any argument that Andre Vasilevsky right now is the best goalie in the world. Uh, back to the, your draft lottery there, since you care so much about it. I don't actually. I just actually. wanted to double check. the. Uh, so, so, Seattle has the exact same rules that Vegas did, which is the third best odds, 10.3%. Right. Um, and they can't pick any lower than five. 
um, in the first round. So that's how this the Kraken kind of fit their way in here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I know. So you, so you now, now Arizona, of course, forfeited its first round pick uh, because of the draft shenanigans uh, with the testing last year. But they are actually part of the lottery for the mathematical purposes. Um, if they if they win either lottery drawing, then there's a redraw. Interesting. I didn't know. I, that. You see, know, I, I, see yeah, you there you care. go. See, I, I was doing a little. Uh, <laughs> you, you do know. care. Um, so, okay, and of course, uh, Owen Power, top ranked prospect, as yep. we know, playing for Canada right now at the Men's World Championship, which is kind of a neat uh, experience. Didn't the Canada you know, didn't Canada lose the first ten games of the uh, tournament? And now they're and now so they're they, in the quarterfinals. Gordon Miller had an amazing tweet today. <laughs> I, I so, saw that. So they started on three and then needed about seventeen thousand things to happen, and they all did. It was a great tweet from Gordon Miller. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're in the quarters, although they got their hands full with. With Russia oh my God. in the quarters on Thursday. All, yeah. all I'll say about that is that tweet is better than the entire World Championship tournament. That's all. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> all right. I, I, wanna, love, I, I, love, I love the world. I know. Um, but, so I, I'm going to diverge. When was the last time you covered the Worlds? What, do you remember? Was oh, it during I do. The, Are you kidding me? Yeah. They were my favorite I know you events. Uh, Non-Olympic, I guess, other than the Olympics. But yeah, I covered the Worlds for uh, six consecutive springs. 2000 through 2005 and uh it was fun so 05 was the 0405 lockout year so the the entire hockey world joined me almost in uh, in austria so we were mostly in innsbruck just amazing picture (laughs) picturesque place you're staring at mountains and when you're walking outside oh my gosh it was so good and then and we worked too there was some work and uh then we ended up in vienna for the for the Melrail Canada loss in the gold medal game to uh, to the Czech Republic and the Czechs back then, as you remember, were international powerhouses. They, uh, I think, they won two or three of the six men's worlds that I covered. They, they were just always in that mix. Of course, they they won the Olympic gold in '98 in Nagano and kind of fed off that really great generation of players. But uh, Canada won the '03 men's worlds, Anson Carter in overtime. Uh, against Sweden, and then they also won in in the Czech Republic. They won in 04. Both Niedermeyer brothers playing on that team. Yeah. Mike Babcock right. is head coach. Yeah. Do you, is it true that the uh, city of Innsbruck uh, uh, had a um, civic holiday the day all the hockey writers left after that world championship? Oh, <laughs> my gosh. That was just so much fun. It really is one of the greatest uh, events in my career because – so many NHL writers came over and a lot of them had never covered the worlds before. And of course there was no NHL and a lot of NHL players showed up for that event. Lots of great, uh, off day meals and laughs and stories. And yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, okay. you know, my, my, probably my favorite world's moment though. Now you got me going down memory lane. <laughs> I can see our uh, listenership dream. No, it away. was when Slovakia, <laughs> Slovakia won yes. the worlds yep. in, uh, 02 in Gothenburg. And, um, in fact, they knocked out Canada in the quarterfinals, and they uh, they won the worlds. And I'll just never forget Peter Stashny, uh, who was the head of the yes. you know the the team, and just in complete tears, you know, because after the breakup of Czechoslovakia, Slovakia had to really work its way up in terms of its independent program and, and work its way up the rankings and. That was unbelievable. Miro Satan uh, was on that uh, Slovak team. And uh, just, a, you know, there are moments that happen over there that 
that, you know, I know a lot of North American hockey fans don't pay attention to, but uh, just a lot of fond memories. Good. Uh, I, I am gonna, I'm going to keep coming back See, to rabbit the, hole. You got, you got no, me down a rabbit all, hole. No, buddy. no, it's all good. Uh, I want to go back to the draft lottery just briefly. I, I, we know that, you know, the odds are the odds. And, and so the numbers are there it, in your heart. You look at those teams and you think, geez, you know, this team could use a break or this team could use, is there a team that you're like, geez, you know, quietly maybe rooting for, or you, or you think, geez, maybe a little draft lottery luck for this team. Is, is there one? I mean, I think I want Detroit to do well. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, they've had such you know. great luck at the uh, draft lottery. In the well, <laughs> and yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that, and you and I have discussed this a million times. I don't know what the right recipe is with the lottery, but I, I like Detroit's undergoing an organic, honest rebuild after years of being in the playoffs. And they should be rewarded, not penalized when it comes to the draft, you know. Um so that's my point on that. Yep. Um, so given that Buffalo, no chance to get the number one pick. Is that what you're saying? So uh, <laughs> I'm fine if they do. They have great fans in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. You know what? Here's yeah, and, and because you didn't ask me, but I'll tell you anyway. If it's not Detroit and I'm with you, they probably deserve a little lottery luck. I, I would love to see Columbus. I would like to see Columbus have some lottery luck. They've been a... It's a tough road for the Columbus Blue Jackets. So I'm mm-hmm. in my heart, that would be okay. Um, all right. Uh, what else? Before we get to Dave Tippett, uh, floor is yours. Are there things that you think about? We, you touch on the world championships, uh, but it also sounds like there's positive news vis-a-vis an agreement with the NHL and NHLPA and the IOC and the double IHF, uh, vis-a-vis, uh, the return of NHL hockey to Beijing, um, in the winter of 2022. So that's good. I, 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 I despaired a little bit that it was taking a long time, but it does seem like they're on the right track. And that would be, I think that would be really good news. So while you were talking, I, I double checked to make sure my memory was right. Slovakia beat Russia 4-3 in the gold medal game of the 2002 <laughs> World Championships. I was in the building in Gothenburg, Sweden, and it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's yes. it. That's enough. What were you asking me? <laughs> the Olympics. Sounds like we're. Uh, oh yeah, I've heard of those. Yeah, they they keep working away at it. Uh, you know, and that's the positive thing is that forever there was really nothing going on, but over the last couple of weeks there have finally been back and forth between the IOC, WHF, HLPA, and the NHL, and they keep hammering away at it. So hopefully they come up with an agreement. What else? Uh, what else is on your mind here? Uh, just before we get to, to Dave Tippett, um, you know, we talked a little bit about Seth Jones and and uh, and what may happen with him um, as we head toward the the we draft. Did? Yeah. Um, oh. Did we? Was I ignoring you again when you were doing that? Oh, I, well, talk, I, I think you emailed me and said we should talk about it, but then we <laughs> haven't talked about it yet. Well, that's okay. Yeah, well, so, yeah. so you know, and, and this is something I introduced about a month ago on Insider Trading. You know, let's see what happens with Seth Jones. And then I think it was Elliot Freeman over the weekend who advanced it. Um, yeah, and so it's not surprising. I suspect that this is where it would go. Um, and it's tough blow for Columbus for sure. Um, so he's got a year left on his deal. Uh, teams are going to be lining up. I mean, it, it's going to be so fascinating to see how this works out. Such a wonderful player, great dude. Um, there's just nothing not to like about Seth Jones. So uh, that'll be a, that'll be a huge offseason story for sure. And you know, I think it'd be easier to name the teams that don't make sense as opposed to the teams where it would make sense in this case. But 
I think the Flyers come to mind for me for sure. Yeah. Um, on that right side. I, I'm curious, you know, this is, I mean, it's fascinating for Yarmo Kekalainen, who of course has been a guest on Two Man Advantage and very, I, I, you know, what I love about Yarmo is so passionate about that franchise and that community and the city. And, you know, this is a really, this, this is a kick in the shins for him. There's no doubt about it. And, and on top of that now, you know, what is the domino effect or potential domino effect for Zach Wierenski, who could be an RFA at the end of next season? So not as dire a situation, but, but you know, again, a potential problem for him in terms of locking up a, a critical part. But do you, th- do you think it, it's more important for Jarmo Kekalainen, the actual return on a player like Seth Jones, does that override... I, I would rather trade Seth Jones to the LA Kings or somewhere out West. Like it, you mentioned Philly, which is a perfect fit, but it's also much closer to home than maybe you would want. Do you think those things factor into it or is it, I, I need to get the absolute best return and I don't care whether that team is around the corner or on the far coast. It doesn't matter. I think you got to make the best trade and not worry about where he ends up. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an old school thing to worry about your division and stuff like that. You make the best trade. You, you get the best assets in return. You don't worry about the rest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because otherwise, you're, you know, 32 teams now in this league, uh, you can't worry about, you know, am I going to face this team in the playoffs? That stuff is just, you know, it, it, it's not realistic anymore. I mean, you, you, you have to manage assets in a modern hockey world. That's what you got to do when you make this trade. Are you saying are you saying I'm behind the times or old school? Or, okay. No, it's a good question, but I'm just saying I, I when I talk to other executives, um, you know, I'm hearing that less and less is what I'm saying. Okay. You know, I mean, I mean, I think it's short sighted to worry about right. that in my mind. All right. Uh, all right. The last thing I'm going to leave you with. I was so jealous when I heard that you actually had to. You had. Um, connection with some of our colleagues and our good friends. Now things opening up a little bit in Ontario. You had Art Bombassu, as you mentioned, our fine Montreal writer who was in town for Game 7, and Chris Johnson. You actually got to sit in your backyard. I, I, I was, what was it like to get ready for Game 7 and actually have you know, friends and colleagues that you could sort of share some space with before the big game? It was nice. It's been a long time since I uh, we did it outside, socially distant. Of course, but uh, yeah, it's been a long time since we got to socialize and catch up, and we're all good pals, of course. And I was on the eve of Game Seven, so lots to chatter about. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it you know it feels that we're a little behind you guys in the states. Although, as I predicted to you, we have a higher vaccination rate now in Canada. So I warned you that was going to happen. Yeah, that's good that you bring in the fancy stats, but it's it doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really count. So, and uh, and I have to ask because I mean this is it's about the fans and it's about the connection and relationships um, with fans and teams and and in your home you had some conflict. How did things go? Were there some were there some upset hurt feelings in the LeBron oh, house? Boy. Yes, uh, my oldest uh, she's a diehard Leafs fan. Yeah. Her room uh, full of leaf stuff, and my son's a Habs fan. Oh uh, I'm happy the series is over for reasons of my household going back to normal. And uh, you know what? It, it was it was as a father. You know, once the game was over, I've got 
one kid jumping up and down and the other one frankly in tears yep and it's 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 hard and I, I I went to comfort to my daughter instead of going right to my son <laughs> I have to make a decision in real time yeah but uh, yeah uh, she felt like a lot of Lee fans you know that's like and she's you know she's too young to actually know what 1967 means and all that but uh, she feels she's already gotten a taste of it because she became you know she really got into the Leafs when Austin Matthews was drafted and now she's gone through five years of old fours right yeah <laughs> so uh she uh yeah she she struggled with that like a lot of leaf fans did but and it, but on the flip side it was interesting to see my son's reaction because he generally never thought the Habs could win the series right so that so that young person's one of the you know that the whole pro sports reaction on young fans and and the look on his face of amazement right and he was really good he he came over and hugged my daughter oh tried to comfort her yeah yeah, that's great. You know what? Like, I, 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 it's been it, my whole life has been. You know, when I grew up, like, as I've told you, my mom was all Leafs, wore a Leaf yeah. sweater every Saturday night. My dad was Habs. Oh, it's been conflict in in my household from the day I was born. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, uh, it, it's you know, again, I some, sometimes it's it's good to remember these things, and it's because it's at the fabric of the game and why we care so much. And I, you know, in my house, uh, growing up, the same. My dad was a huge Leaf fan. My uh, maternal grandparents, and, and every time the Leafs lost, especially to Montreal, completely the referee's fault. Like, and they would listen <laughs> to games on the radio. They were huge Peterborough Pete fans as well. And um, you know that was a real part of the fabric growing up. And and I became a Hab fan, I'm sure, in part to torment my dad. Right? I mean, that's you know table hockey. I was always a Canadian. I would never play with the Leafs on our table hockey. Never would never do it. And that's you know. It's uh, my dad went, my dad went to bed before the end of the game the other night. He was so disgusted. So there you go. Some things never change. So that's good. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. As promised, Dave Tippett joining us, head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Dave, I was just looking at the calendar. It feels like a million years since your series against the Winnipeg Jets ended, but it's really been eight days. It was Monday, we could go Monday, so maybe it's nine days now. I just wonder what that what that period of time has been like for you. You know how you process it, how you decompress. What what's the last week been like for you um, after the end of the Oilers season? Well, it certainly ended too quick, quicker than we anticipated. But uh, so we uh, you know we gathered staff uh, for a day and then uh, met with the players for a day and then. Uh, Pretty much everybody exited uh, as, as quick as you can. We've been, you know, Edmonton is uh, still kind of in lockdown, and and uh, so players were were heading out of there pretty quick. Uh, I know our staff was the same thing. I was there a couple days and then headed back to Arizona. I hadn't seen my wife since uh, early January, so that was uh, that was kind of a priority. To get back. To there and that's my wife and both my daughters were in Arizona so I spent a couple days with them and now we're kind of just kind of getting arranged and and 
we'll get through. Uh, Kenny was finishing up some meetings. We're going to talk uh, the next couple of days here to see where things are at and see where we move forward. Yeah, I want. I was going to ask you that. It's a good time to ask you now about the personal side of all this this year. You know the you know, the lockdown in our country here in Canada. And, and uh, you know, I knew that uh, that you're on your own in Edmonton. You know, that's, you know, we talk a lot about how hard it is on a lot of the players who weren't with their families, but it was the same for you, uh, Dave. You know, what, what was that like for you? Well, I mean, it's obviously difficult. You just, uh, you know, I think for the coach, you're, you're so, you know, immersed every day. You could, you could do 24 hours a day if you wanted. So you keep busy, but I, I felt bad. You know, we had some players, uh, Staylock, uh, we picked up on waivers. He had a young family, and he's he was up there. His family was in the U.S. Uh, Josh Archibald's family was down. There's guys that hadn't seen their family since since basically Christmas. And when you have young kids, it's uh, that can be really taxing on you. Now, it's, uh, you know, it's great to have uh, FaceTime and stuff like that, so you can keep up with it. But it, it there is challenges with it. That's for sure. It's, uh, Hopefully we get back to normal and then everything is back up and going like it should be in the fall. But, uh, but there certainly is challenges, uh, mental side of it for, for players and coaches alike. Yeah. Does that go into it, Dave? Like when you and Ken Holland and the rest of your coaching staff and you, you, you dissect and, and pull apart what happened in the season and, and maybe specifically in that series against Winnipeg. Do you have to factor in some of the circumstances of the last year and a half, you know, going back even to the bubble a year ago in the playoffs, or do you have to, do you have to separate some of that out? I, I'm just curious how that plays into how you really assess, you know, what happened and what you need to do moving forward. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know if that becomes a factor and it, it probably should be, but it's, uh, you, you dig into more, you know, the hockey part of it and, and, who, you know, what you did as a, as an organization, what you did as a team, you know, who played well, who didn't play well. And maybe when you get down to some individual stuff and individual meetings, you can, you can tell that there's some guys that were, were, it was certainly uh, hard on them being away from their families and, and, uh, and that. So you understand maybe that affects some of their, uh, uh, their, you know how they played, but uh, but for the most part, we we dissect a lot of hockey, a lot of uh, you know just a lot of internal organization stuff. How we how we're going to move forward, and and you, you recognize what happened, you recognize where we are, and how we're going to move this forward. And that's been you know Ken and I have talked about that for two years now. We got to keep this going going the right direction. And the first step was to make sure we're a playoff team every year. And you know two years in a row we've been. Well, I don't know if you call the bubble, but we were we were in good shape to be a playoff team last year. We're a playoff team this year, and we got to keep that mindset. You got to give yourself a chance. Now, that being said, you've got to take steps forward, and and that's uh, we're in that critical area right now. Dave, I, I talked to Scotty early in the show here about about Montreal and and this idea that we had talked about all year that because they really struggled to get in the playoffs, but we had this feeling about them looking at their roster construct that they were better built for the playoffs than they were for, you know, the, the regular season. I know it sounds strange to say, but you know, what's your thought on this idea that this, this narrative about playoff style hockey, you know, um, and I think of the Coyotes team that you brought to the Western conference final 
uh, you know, back in 2012 that way. And, 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 you know, the idea of getting more skill teams like your team in Edmonton, obviously to sort of, you know, uh, adopt that, adapt to playoff hockey and, and, and where there are fewer penalties called. I mean, we could have a whole other conversation about that, but, but it is different, right? And, and no, there, so is, how, there is some difference. See, I, I look at, so you look at a team like Montreal who they play, a, you know, they don't have the, say the high, high end skill that, uh, that Toronto yeah. have or, or our team, the, the, the top end, but the mm-hmm. strong team game, they stray. They have a, a very strong defense, physical defense, and they have excellent goaltending. And if you look at, uh, I look at, you know, Montreal and Winnipeg. <clears throat> Winnipeg played as more of a skill game during the year, but the last two weeks of the year, they changed their whole game to play a solid, solid defending style, and mm-hmm. they have an excellent goaltender. And the goaltender makes a difference. So Montreal and Winnipeg, I look at both those teams played the same in, uh, in both series is where you play just tight, tight defense. You rely on your goaltender, which is one of the strengths of your team. And you find enough goals to win. And it, uh, it frustrates a skill team that, uh, you know, they, they feel like they should be doing better, scoring more. And uh, in the end, if if like in that Montreal game, Carey Price is excellent in game seven and Montreal finds a way to win. And that's, uh, that could be, you know, that's what you describe as a playoff team. They play to their strength, which is their goaltending. They defend well and they, they find enough to win and the other team gets frustrated. I, I think we often talk about teams having to learn hard lessons in the playoffs and, and maybe it sounds Maybe it sounds like a throwaway line, but you you stood on on that bench and and watched your team, and I wonder what kind of lessons you either hope that 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 team in Edmonton learned, or you expect that they will have learned from what happened against Winnipeg. Are there things that you know you can put your finger on to say, okay, this is we will get better because of uh, of this disappointment? Well, there's certain there's certainly things that the poise poise under pressure. Uh, the thinking part of it, thinking you have to score, but in actual fact, you have to stay, stay with the game, stay within the game and stay with, you know, what the game's given you. And there's all factors like that. There's discipline. I'm sure Josh Archibald is going to be, uh, he'll remember that penalty he took in game three, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. long time, you know? And so there's, there's things like that that go through that, that, uh, you know, we always talk about, I was saying, every play counts. And if you look at the, you know, we lost three games in overtime and you could, you could narrow that down to a single play that, that, you know, was the, was the catalyst to lose those games. So those are plays that we didn't execute as well as we could have and it cost us games. So you, there's things like that that we continue to talk about and, you, know, you hope your group grabs it and you, you know, you continue adding players that maybe have experience that can drag other people along like that, that uh, you continue to improve your team. But it's uh, it's a mindset of how you have to play in the playoffs. And, you know, it's it's different than a, than a regular season game. Yeah. And and Dave, I know at your season ending press conference, um, you were asked about your future. I think I was looking at uh, some of the coverage 
and um, you know, I think you have another year left on your deal, and you seem you know pretty comfortable about it all in terms of not being locked into long term decisions. Is that just you know you're you've been around a long time? And let's not forget, before you came back to coaching, you were on the business management side in Seattle, yeah. uh, getting that franchise ready to go. So is that just, you know, it sounds like you're comfortable just seeing this through for now and then seeing where it is. Is that fair? That's exactly what I'm, I'm just uh, taking a year by year now. There's, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing it to try to, to chase winning. I'm not chasing money. I'm not chasing anything. I, I love the people mm-hmm. I'm working with up there. Uh, but it's... Uh, it's. I think there's. I think there's still upside on that team. And when you have, you know, players like McDavid, Drysaddle, Nurse, they're they're core pieces that you can you can build around. And uh, both Ken and I talk about it all the time. We I think we both went there for the. We thought there was a chance to win, and we're going to keep pushing that way. So I'm just going to take it year by year, and uh, that's that's my goal right now. I I'd like to to try to find uh, find a way to get deep into the playoffs and give myself a chance to win. So we'll take it year by year. Yeah. How do what's, what's the decompression like for you? I mean, we often talk about players who, you know, will need to go and, you know, reflect or look at how they performed and how they could get better. And I wonder what your off season will be like, because I, you know, you'll be chatting with Ken Holland uh, leading up to the expansion draft and leading up to the draft and free agency and all those kinds of things. But how do you, how do you decompress? How do you sort of step back and, and assess your own sort of role in, in how to get this Oiler team where, where, where you guys feel it should be? You know what I I do, you know, I, I do a lot of those stats during the year, a lot of video. So we'll, I'll step back and just see, uh, I take some time to go through everything, go through the different segments of the year, go through our personnel, you know, obviously uh, uh, our coaching staff, you kind of go through the roles of everybody there and, and make sure that everything's in place for, for moving forward. And it is kind of a, <clears throat> a quick turnaround after the, after the expansion draft and the draft. So you'll, you'll start to plan training camp and hopefully like we're, we're, Knock on wood. Hopefully, we're getting back to a normal situation where you're going in with a normal mm-hmm. up and your exhibition games, and you can get up and going. You know, so there's there's a, a review process. There's a, a review of you know what we did as a coaching staff. There's a review of the players, and then there's uh, you know the prep for next year. The the holes that uh, we might want to fill, the roles on the team that we want to see if we can expand and and add to with new personnel and then uh like you say you have expansion you have the draft you have a lot of other elements that i'm not involved in a lot but then then there's planning planning a training camp and the planning of the regular season so lots to do lots to do but the, a little bit of decompress before i start digging into it too much and dave we're let you go uh i wanted to ask you about ethan bear and uh Scotty and I talked about it last week, but we were so upset uh, at what Ethan Bear uh, was subjected to online uh, in terms of racist uh, attacks from some fans. I don't know how they call themselves fans when they do that, but but uh, I know from all accounts, uh, a wonderful young man. Just your thoughts on, on Ethan and and uh, you know his courage uh, talking about it, and, and obviously you guys supporting him. You know, Ethan is an outstanding young man, and 
when I first went to Edmonton last year, I didn't know Ethan at all. The first practice we were on training camp, he had a great summer of training. And, uh, you know, I had, had an idea of the personnel and first practice, he's flying around up there and he's smiling and laughing. And, and I remember saying to Glenn Gullickson, who's this kid? He's on. <laughs> right. And uh, just a fun, fun guy to be around in every drill he's dug right into and he's playing fast. And, uh, and so I, I love him and he's, he really cares. He cares about doing well. He's, uh, he wants to help our team. So, He's an outstanding young player and uh, and and a really really good person. Really good person. It's it's really disappointing to see. Uh, it's too bad that these people that do this, there's not a way to expose right. them. Right. It's the one way it's going to stop because this is it's easy to hide behind a computer, or a phone, and mm-hmm. write your little message and giggle to yourself but it's it's embarrassing if we could ever expose these people for for these things that they're doing i think that would be a step forward and, and, and you know it's, it's too bad that it happens like you say it's hard to call people like that fan, fans but uh that's the world we live in right now yeah. mm-hmm. well it's it's true and i thought it was really important and uh, that uh, that everyone sort of rallied around Ethan as quickly as they did. And that, to me, that's the, you know, to me, that's the encouraging part is that it, uh, it is such a small, small minority. And I'm with you, Dave, it would be great if you could, you know, somehow shine a light on, on those people and find a name and let their bosses and parents know the kind of stuff that they're saying. But um, yeah, so, uh, but I thought it was impressive the way that, that the, the Oilers and, and, and hockey fans around the, the world, I thought, responded very quickly to, to what had happened. So. Yeah, and, and the way Ethan responded was was top mm-hmm. much. I, I just, I, that's something that, uh, you know, a lot of us you never experience and so you can't, can't really understand truly what the, the feelings are, but the way Ethan responded was, was unbelievable. Shows the kind of person he is. Yeah, Good No stuff. doubt. All right. Well, Dave, it's always great to catch up with you. And I know we say this when we when we chat that uh, someday we will catch up in person over a coffee and in a rink somewhere right. down the road. And <laughs> here's to that happening next fall somewhere. Um, but enjoy your off season and and thanks for coming to hang out with Pierre and I. It's always great to catch well, up. My with pleasure. You. Always good, good to catch up with you guys and uh, enjoy the rest of the playoffs. It's always good to catch up with Dave Tippett and I, I'm glad you brought up the Ethan Bear stuff here. I think it's important that, as you know, I was, we were both quite angry a week ago and, and uh, I thought Dave put it very nicely and um, so glad you brought that up and uh, what a, what a tough off season ahead for the Oilers because there's uh, certainly some interesting decisions there in terms of, you know what that lineup mm-hmm. is going to look like. I, I will say this, and, and whether it's Stockholm syndrome or not, which it, you have accused me of having in the past, but there, I do think there's so much to like about that team. And obviously, for sure, you, you know, with, uh, it starts needless to say with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. But there are so many interesting pieces on that blue line. Um, you know, whether it's uh, Ethan Bear or Caleb Jones, uh, Bouchard. There's, I think, there's a lot to like there. Um, and it's going to be curious to see how Kenny Holland, you know, wh- how he massages things to get to them to a point where 
they can take advantage of, of the the best player in the world or two of the top three or four players in the world because, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't done it so far. Yeah, and I know that, uh, you know, people are getting, I think, in Edmonton sort of energized by the fact that uh, there's a lot of cap room that's opening up this offseason. But the reality is a lot of that cap room is going to probably be used to retain some of their players. I mean, Nugent Hopkins is up. Tyson Berry's up. Adam Larson is up. I don't know that they can keep all three, but I, I think they'll at least end up with two of those three. Um, they got to re-sign Mike Smith, who who's not going to come back for $1.5 million. Going to have to get a little bump from that. Um, you know, what happens with Oscar Clefbaum? Is he healthy enough to come back? Uh, we sure hope so, but, you know, that takes up room on the cap. Um, so there's a lot to to do internally before you, you think you got all this cap room to play with externally, I guess is my point for the Oilers. And, and But I do think that Ken Holland, you know, I think secondary scoring is probably the the area where, you know, Zach Hyman, for example, of the Leafs, the Leafs are going to do all they can to re-sign him. And he's a, you know, he's a Toronto guy. He'll want to stay. But, you know, if they can't make it work, he's a type of guy in free agency. I think the Oilers should target, um, you know, Blake Coleman is Blake up Coleman. in Tampa. Yep. Can the Lightning keep? But that kind of sort of grindy, you know, secondary scoring type that that is different from what they have, I, I think that would be a great fit for Edmonton. But the, re- the real thing is, it's more what Dave Tippett just talked about during our, our interview here. It's just learning how to play playoff hockey or continuing to learn. It's not like they're not learning, but, you know, I thought it was fascinating to hear him talk about Montreal and Winnipeg in the way he did. Yeah. And, and about how those teams, and particularly probably more Winnipeg, because I think the Habs are playing more to their strength. Whereas I think what Tippett is, was Dave was saying to us is that he feels the Jets, you know, sort of had a metamorphosis from the regular season to the playoffs and how they defended and, and that's what teams like the Leafs and the Oilers truly have to learn as time goes on. Um, and, and so, uh, to me, that was a really fascinating part of our exchange with Dave Tippett today is him talking about Montreal and Winnipeg that way. Yeah, good point. All right, my friend, I've got some good questions here today, some little thought-provoking one. Um, this one from Brett Sidoric. I am Twiggy. Uh, it's a question about Columbus, and we talked a little bit about Seth Jones, but uh, I, I sort of beyond that, his question about whether Patrick Liney is likely to stay. He's a restricted free agent, of course, and and it, it ties in nicely, I think, with our conversation with Dave Tippett uh, and what happens in Edmonton, possibly in terms of their roster construct. But what does Columbus do with their two goaltenders, uh, Elvis Merzlikens and Yunus Corpusalo? Uh, the sense is that uh, Yarmo Kekalani would like to move one of them, likely before the draft. Um, and there are teams well, that would... Well, like- I don't know about before the draft. Do you what? think so? Because Merzlikens is exempt from the expansion draft. What, what, oh, when yeah. you... Wouldn't you want to use that and then use that make the trade after? Draft. Yeah. After the expansion yeah. draft. I meant yeah. before yeah. the... Draft draft. Oh, the, the NHL draft. The NHL I got draft. You. Right around I the draft you. weekend. But yeah. But your point is yeah. a good one. Anyway, I just I, it's uh, it's not just Seth Jones <laughs> that Yarmo Kekalainen has to has to deal with. It. No, it's a huge offseason for sure. And, and you know, we had uh, Yarmo on earlier on the podcast, right? Uh, last month, I think. Yeah. And uh, I thought he was terrific in that interview. There's, there's a lot to, to get through for them. Um, they will certainly have cap room, which a lot of teams don't have as, as a weapon. They got draft picks. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be one of the movers and the shakers for sure. I do think they will trade a goalie. 
Number one, I think they end up trading Seth Jones this offseason, which will be gigantic. Um, and it, it'll be part of this whole reset, I think. But, you know, they're not interested in rebuilding there. No. So what will be interesting is the teams that get in on Seth Jones who can actually provide immediate help as opposed to a futures deal. I think that'll be that'll be big to me. Yeah. Do, do you see Patrick Liney? Is that something, you know, again, as a restricted yeah, free agent? I, I think he'll be back there. I think, you know, I mean, he's RFA, so it's not like he can go anywhere, although he forced his way out of Winnipeg. But, but I think with, uh, you know... You know, you got to you're gonna have a new head coach. It'll be a, a sort of a reset moment there for Liney. I think Yarmo K. Clanlin has had a lot of good conversations with Liney, is my understanding. So I think they're going to try and make that work. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see w- what Yarmo Kekalainen does, and obviously with John Davidson now back in the senior executive role there after uh, his tenure cut short uh, abruptly in New York. I- I'm curious to see the head coaching. Uh, decision there and, and and after John Tortorella who's such a strong personality very distinct manner of, of, of coaching and uh, and all that came with that I, I think this is going to be really I think that I think there is a lot of possibility for Columbus because there are some interesting young players and there's I'm with you this is not a scorched earth thing this is Okay, let's reset and and take advantage of what we have. But I think the coaching is going to be a huge part of that moving forward. Uh, agree? Disagree? No, of course, big time. And I think it's you know, I mean, we know some of the candidates that they've talked to. They've talked to Gerard Gallant. They've talked to Rick Tockett. And we know Brad Larson's a real candidate in the house, right? Yep. Uh, this, <laughs> this is an interesting question from Jack Manning, NHL Jack Manning. Are the 2021 Vegas Golden Knights the most disliked team amongst NHL fans since the 2011 Canucks? I think that's interesting. And it, I, I think there is a, you know, some of it's Ryan Reeves. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, the fans look at the Golden Knights and they're like, well, ah, you know, expansion team, they go to final. They don't have to pay the fee. They don't have to be in the expansion draft for Seattle. Um I kind of like that Vegas is sort of, it's already, they're out there like, okay, you know, come at us if you want. We're okay with that. I I didn't even know they were disliked. So I see that was news to me. I guess I'm not spending enough time on social media. I, I didn't even know that was a thing. And by the way, I like Ryan Reeves. I don't like what he did to Ryan Graves. No. I, I like him. He's... Yeah, I didn't like I didn't like uh, what Graves did to uh, Dias Yanmark. So you know, there you right. go. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's hard for me to answer that question because I had no idea that they were disliked, other than by I guess Colorado fans right now. But you know, may, what, is there a sentiment out there that? You know, an expansion team shouldn't have been this good this quick. I, I guess yeah. that could be part of it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think there's a little resentment. Oh, you know, they they've they've had it all, and they've had it right from the get go. So anyway, okay. Mm. I, I didn't really know that either, but I, I, I think it's always hard to answer. <laughs> like dislike, I think, is in the eye of the beholder. Let's be honest. I know, but you you live in Canada, so that's that's stock and trade in the NHL, right? Everyone hates the Leafs, or everyone hates Vancouver, or whatever. So, all right. Good answer, though, by you. Um, I like this. is a, a Canadian in Ukraine, Brian Blair, 18. Thanks for dropping a question and listening. Since 1990, uh, who is the best team, in your opinion, to not win the Cup? And his suggestion, he, he likes the 93 Penguins, of course, upset um, by the Islanders, allowed the Canadians and Patrick Roy to win the last 
Canadian-based Stanley Cup championship, but the 93 Penguins were a good team that didn't get it done. Who's That's a great thing about the uh, playoffs now is that there are lots mm-hmm. of good teams that, you know, that didn't quite get over the hump. Is there is there one that comes to mind for you? Yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, 2011 Canucks, they were just mentioned. I, yes. I, I was sure they were going to win the Cup that year. They had it all. So so that was an unbelievable team that didn't win a Cup. Uh, I would say uh, the 62-win Lightning of a couple of years yes. ago that got yeah. swept in the first round by Columbus. Of course, they came back to win the Cup last year. So, um, you know, the 62-win Red Wings team that didn't win, right? Yep. Um, that would be another one. Uh, and I would also say either the 06 or the 07 Senators. Now, the 07 Senators oh. actually went to the Cup Final, but in some ways the 06 Senators still had Chera, so maybe a deeper team. But just that whole, the era of that Senators team that kept knocking at the door with a ton of talent and, and never won a Cup. So I threw the, them in there as well. I was going to mention them. And, you know, the team I'll mention is the uh, 05, 06 Buffalo Sabres. And, uh, you know, a team... Ooh. Who, who beat Ottawa? Uh, yeah, and and lost right. in, lost in the conference final to Carolina. But if if you recall, I think they had like two defensemen left <laughs> by the end of that series against right. Carolina. You know, completely decimated on the back end and still fought to the very end. I remember off the top of my head, they go to Game Seven or was it done in six? But I think it was Game Seven. But regardless, a Saber scene that was very very good, led by Chris Drury and Daniel Briere. Ryan Miller, Ryan Miller, right in uh, in goal. I, I would and I would throw in any number of Sharks teams. Yes. Um, I mean the '09 Sharks. I think won the President's Trophy and lost in the first round to Anaheim. And then I don't know. I mean the Sharks knocked at the door so many times with some excellent, excellent teams, yeah. and the, they would certainly be in that conversation. I think. Uh, all right, and finally, another, and, and we've been, you know, we've had a couple sweeps already. We talked about Edmonton being swept by Winnipeg, of course, uh, Colorado sweeping the St. Louis Blues. Uh, this is from Mike Little. Uh, what's the closest four-game sweep that you can remember? And, and I was, it's funny, this 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 topic came up. I was describing this to, to my son the other day. I covered a Detroit Red Wings might have been 97, so the first of their back-to-back cup wins. I'm pretty sure it was 97. Uh, and they played Anaheim in the first round, and I think all four games went to overtime. A couple went to multiple overtimes. Wings won four straight, but at the end of it, I felt like I'd watched seven games. And uh, and the Ducks were, you know, they were, uh, they were, they were, you know, they were not quite good enough. But man, did they give it every single night, and it was a sweep. But and in fact, I remember my lead. I was a columnist at the Windsor Star, and it was like history will record this as a sweep. But it was anything but, or something along those lines. So. Oh wow! Look, you remembering a lead. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. Um, I'm trying to think the the 2012 LA Kings that won, of course won the Stanley Cup. Um, yes. They were just crushing people left and right in those playoffs. And I'm, did they sweep Vancouver in the first round, or or was that a five game series? Oh, I think they did sweep them because didn't they? Didn't they? Yeah, they we go like uh, twelve and one through the first three rounds. Well, they're up three nothing every single round. Every single that, round, for I sure. They a lot of their games. Yeah. Well, they um, beat they beat Arizona in five, um, but I think they did sweep Vancouver. No, so I just found it. Oh. So it was 4-1. I was going to say that series, though, because I know from talking to Dean Lombardi over the years, uh, 
that series was was a real tough one for them, even though they won in five, because of course the Canucks had just gone to the cup final the year before, and it was eight against one, and the Kings were trying to believe themselves, and Mike Richards really took over that series. But my point is it was five, but every game was 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 you know really closely contested, especially given the you know sort of the, the, the mental part of it. But uh, yeah, they, they swept St. Louis in the second round for nothing. Then they beat uh, Dave Tippett's Coyotes in five in the conference finals. And then uh, and then they beat the Devils in six. As you remember, they were up three nothing in that series as well. And the Devils won two straight to push it to six. Do you remember that well, my friend? And before we go, the Athletic Hockey Show has expanded or is expanding to five days a week. You believe that? We're we're like taking over the world, the Athletic Hockey Show. I like that. Monday with Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian. Tuesday with Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly. Wednesday, that's us, you and me, right in the middle. hey Thursday, Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown. I love that. And then Friday, the Prospect Series with Max Boltman and Corey Prawn. And yeah, you should give that a listen. That's excellent. That'll so, be neat. Yeah, That'll good stuff. Neat. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. by that. Um, you should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And rate and subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Buddy, great work by you. That was excellent. Lots to talk about. Imagine how different the playoff picture will look again a week from today, my friend. Chat then.